Amen. Feeling strong today and feeling good, and I thank the Lord for that. Amen. The strength of God's people uh, helps us. And uh, what, what a great thing to be a part of a church. I know we all feel this way, that uh, when we go through things, we have such a great support system. Amen. And thankful for the small groups that allow that as well. What a great job they do in filling in those gaps as well. I want to go to the book of Judges, book of Judges chapter 11, or excuse me, chapter 6, and we'll be reading verses 11 through 14. Amen. Verses 11 through 14. This is a story of Gideon and uh, the transformation that happened in this man's life uh, with just a few words from the Lord that were spoke to, spoken to him. Gideon, uh, Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 14. Would you join with, with me in reading this together? Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press. Now, I don't know if you caught that. He was threshing wheat in the wine press. Generally, right, you'd be threshing wheat in the threshing floor where wheat was supposed to be threshed. But at this moment, considering the things that they were going through, the oppression of the Midianites on this nation of Israel, he was hiding in the wine press trying to get a little bite to eat. And in after observing Gideon for a moment, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Amen. How many of you have learned that God often sees us in ways that we do not see ourselves? Amen. I love verse 13, not because it, is full of complaints, which it is. But it shows the humanity of Gideon. And in, even in spite of his humanity, we see how God worked through his life. This is what Gideon respond to, responded to the angel's proclamation. First of all, that the Lord was with him. And that, that very fact that God was with him caused him to be a mighty man of valor. Now, he didn't see it yet. Gideon said, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, I mean, I can hear this in his voice. If the Lord is with us, look, at, look around me. Why has all this happened to us? You've ever asked that, asked that question? If God's with me, why in the world is all this happening? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us out up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midians. Now what Gideon is not saying is that the Midianite oppression was because of the sin of Israel. He wasn't owning up to the sin of himself and the nation of Israel. But I love 
this next verse because it tells us that sometimes God does not even acknowledge our complaints because he wants to get us focused on his presence and his ability in our life. And there's, there's some uh, interesting language here. Some uh, people who translators believe that uh, when it says here, the Lord him, himself, it says the Lord himself, the Lord turned to him and said. Now up to this point, at least in the, in the storyline, it looks as if the angel of the Lord has been talking to Gideon. But potentially, if the language lends itself to this, it looks like maybe the Lord spoke directly to Gideon at this point and said, go in this might of yours and you will save Israel from the hand of the Midians. Have I not sent you? Amen. As I read this passage, I can't help but comment. All through this, God is in this story. Gideon didn't recognize it at first. But God is in this story. And I, I hope this morning that if you're sitting here and your life maybe feels like Gideon's, and maybe you just haven't recognized it yet, I hope that God will help you to recognize that God is in your story. That you can declare this morning about your life, God is in this story. God is in this story. Amen. I have been praying for this service for a few weeks. I've known that I was speaking today for several weeks, but uh, a couple of weeks ago I felt, as I was in service here, that what the Lord wanted to do in this place today is kind of what happens in an infusion room. How many of you have ever been in an infusion room, whether you were a patient or a family member or a friend of a patient or maybe a part of the medical team that was... How many of you have ever been in an infusion room? So we got several people who've gone through that experience. And some, we know we've got some in this building even right now who are undergoing treatments. What happens in an infusion room is they put an IV in you and then they start pumping stuff, infusing you with medications, things that's going to help you fight the disease that is in your body. And sometimes it doesn't make you feel too good at first, but its goal is to help you fight that cancer or that disease. And my hope this morning is that God would hook his IV up to us spiritually and that he would be able to infuse us with faith and belief strong conviction in Him and his, his ability to work in our lives. That we're not alone. That God is with us. That somehow what the enemy has been saying to us and what the disease in our body or the situation we find ourselves in, that somehow it, it is not in control, but that somehow God would infuse us with that kind of faith that we would be able to say with God, God is with me and I am a man or a woman or a young person or a child of valor that God may infuse us with great faith. That this place here this morning or if you're watching this, that wherever you're at, 
that that place would become an infusion room. This is my prayer, that God would help you understand that he is with you in this situation. This is what the scriptures, this holy book that we have, and God has given to us. This is what it tells us about the stories in this book. The writer of, of Romans, Paul, tells us in, in chapter 15, verse 4, that whatever things were written aforetime, these things that we have been given, these stories were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. These stories, the stories of God being in the lives of people, gives us faith to understand as we look at our life and we can declare God is in this story. He's in this story. He's in my life. He's working. All the stories in Hebrews chapter 11, there's a, this long list of people uh, that the writer of Hebrews tells us uh, that God was working in their lives. Abel, it starts at the story of Abel. And as we read the story of Abel and his sacrifice, that sacrifice that he gave to God, a more righteous a sacrifice, we hear and understand as we read the story of Abel, we understand that God is in this story. We read the story of Enoch and how he walked with God and the wicked and perverse generation. And we can conclude as we read the story of Enoch and hear that God is pleased with this man. We can conclude that God is in this story. Amen. We can look at Noah, this righteous man in the perverse generation who built the ark, as the scripture says, for the saving of his house. We can read this story and conclude that God is in this story. Abraham and Sarah, childless, but they're holding on to a promise that God gave them. And God answers this promise, fulfills this promise with a child by the name Isaac. They counted their dead bodies not dead because of the promise of God. They weren't able naturally to have children, but supernaturally God moved upon their bodies. And I, don't, I, don't, I know sometimes we look at situations and we say, there's no way this can work. There's no way it can happen. And yet we, we don't sometimes realize that God is setting us up for a miracle in our lives because he just wants us to realize that it wasn't done by the hand of man. It didn't happen naturally in our lives. There was something supernatural that moved over us and God touched us and God fulfilled that promise. And so we can conclude as we read the story of Abraham and Sarah that what? God is in this story. We look at the story of Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. The writer of Hebrews tells us that Joseph, because of his faith, told those around him, when it happens, when God delivers 
Israel from Egypt because I know it's going to happen when it happens. Do not leave my bones here because I don't belong in Egypt. This is not my home. Take me to the place that God has promised because he believed the promises of God and that God was faithful in his, his promises. And so as we look at the life of Joseph, we can conclude, right, that God is in this story. Amen. Moses and his parents, Rahab, this harlot that didn't belong in the lineage of the Messiah. She, by her faith, inserted herself into a place she did not belong. And God said, well, come on in then. If this is the kind of faith that you have, I'll include you even in a place you don't belong. Not only because of of who you are, but because of the nationality that you are. You don't belong here, but because you've got great faith, I'm going to insert you in this place. And so Rahab Becomes in the lineage of the Messiah. And we can look at this story of Rahab and we can shake our heads and we have to say, wow, God is in this story. He's here, all here, working in the lives of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, these judges of Israel, David, who the scriptures call. A prophet, not only a psalm writer and a song writer, but a prophet and a king. We look at the life of David and we have to conclude, right? God is in this story. Samuel and the other prophets as well, we look at their lives. Daniel, the writer of Hebrews, gives us this uh, understanding that as he's talking about all these things. He talks about the mouths of lions being stopped. So we can look at the life of Daniel, right? And we can conclude as we read the story of Daniel that God is in the story. The story of the three Hebrew children who quenched the violence of fire. We can look at their lives and say, God, God is in this story. He's working. And all the nameless Hebrews that mentioned in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and even all throughout God's word, we have to conclude as we read this book that God is working in people's lives. Common people, people uh, who weren't special, people didn't ha- who had, didn't have lineages, but people who were just crazy enough to grab a hold of the promise of God and say, okay, God, if your word has said it, I am going to believe that you're going to fulfill your word and you're going to be faithful to your word, and so I'm going to act in faith. All of these, the writer of Hebrews says, did what they did, accomplished what they accomplished by faith. By faith, these people did what they did. I look at the story of some of you sitting here, and I have to, I have to smile when I think about your stories. And I have to say, wow, God is in this story. God is in this story. Think about Celinda. If you don't know this, she's released a book, and I'll make a shameless plug for her book on Amazon called Suddenly. If you want to look her name up and buy that book, it'll bless you. So read those pages. I have to. I have, my heart fills with faith 
when I read those pages because I have to conclude and I have to exclaim God is in this story. Just hope some of you are grabbing a hold of it right now. If God can work in the life of Selinda, and if God can work in the life of Samson, and if God can work in the life of Barak and Gideon and David, then he can work in your life. And you can conclude and you can say about your life, God is in this story. He's working. I was born in 1963, so if you, you're quick on your feet, you'll realize that I'm 59 years old. My mother named me Larry Dale. And I often have people say, you know, they'll say Larry to me, and they go, oh, I'm sorry, Brother Larry or Pastor Larry. I didn't mean to be disrespectful. And I, and I tell him, you know what? My mother called me Larry all of her life. I love to hear her say it, and so Larry never, ever offends me. Amen. That's what my mom called me. Larry Dale. I was told that I was named after my oldest brother Jerry's friend, whose name was Larry. But as I have looked at history, and I've noticed the connection with the Dale, Larry Dale, I realized that there is a man born in 1923 who was a blues Singer and guitarist, whose name was Larry Dale. At least his stage name was was Larry Dale. Now, my mother and my father loved to party in their younger years. They went to uh, what may be called uh, honky tonks or stuff like that. I don't know if that was the right word. Probably not an appropriate word to say from the pulpit on a Sunday morning. Uh, they went to bars and they danced together enjoyed music but when my mother found the Lord uh, she changed dance partners to the great uh, disappointment of my father because he loved to party he loved to drink I don't know it's possible that in some of those establishments those juke joints whatever they went to that uh, uh, they were there, that song from Larry Dale was being sung, or maybe even Larry Dale was there. I don't know. It just, curiosity's sake, makes me wonder if maybe this man is not my namesake. I don't know. Just curious. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to be starting a bl blues uh, career. <laughs> just want to throw that out. Uh, no, I'm not, because I had a guitar, and I finally gave it away to my, our grandson just a few days ago, because I decided I'm not playing this thing. <laughs> it's just collecting dust. So I'm, I, I did find this interesting, though. Years, a few years ago, we moved into our neighborhood, and um, I like meeting my neighbors. That's just the kind of person I am. I, I make a point, if I see them out in the yard, if I haven't met them yet, to walk over to them. I know sometimes they're... They're a little, uh, they've acted this way, at least a little shocked by my boldness. And I don't call myself a bold, bold person, but I like, just like to know who is living around me. And two doors down uh, from us, where uh, Stephen and Stephanie Tear live now, lived a gentleman and his wife named, 
His wife's name was Jamie, and his name was, of all things, I reached out my hand that day, and as I saw him, I said, hello, my name is Larry. And he said, well, that'll be easy to remember, because my name is Larry. (laughs) And so Larry and I got to be good friends. He even came to church here a few times over the years. It was in one of those conversations that uh, somehow I discovered that his middle name was Dale. So not only was he Larry, but he was Larry Dale, which, you know, we, we laughed about that a lot and had a good fun. And not only that, but his last name was Gillis, G-I. So Larry Dale, G-I, Gillis, and my name's Larry Dale Jimnich. So we had a lot of fun uh, talking about that. And it was a few days ago that I discovered that uh, we have a member in our church whose name is Barry. And Barry's middle name is, of all things, can you guess it? Dale, yes, you're right. How did you know that? I just find it funny that there's, I, I know I've met a few other people over the years whose names were Larry, Dale, whatever the last name. It's just kind of funny how that name stuck. I did find out that uh, my name, my first name, Larry, comes from uh, the name Lawrence, which comes from the, the word Laurel, which means victory. And my middle name is Dale, which means valley. And so for a few years, I've been reminding myself that it doesn't really matter what I face because God has promised me, not just because of my name, but because of the words in this good book, that I can have victory in any valley, any circumstance that I face. God can infuse me with faith. No matter what I face, this good book tells me that God is with His people. He's with us. We can have that great, great confidence. Gideon's name, I don't think he caught it. I don't think he understood it, whether his parents ever told him it or not. But his name meant cutter, one who would chop down or cut down the enemy. It was prophesied over him from the day he was named that you are going to be someone who pushes back the enemy in in, uh, your weakness. You're going to become strong. You're going to wax valiant and fight, O Gideon. And somehow he didn't believe it. He didn't grasp that in his mind, even though I think it was the hope of his parents when they named him Gideon. And it was certainly the hope of his God that he would stand up and be a mighty man of valor. But he was looking at all the circumstances that surrounded him, the situations that were around him. He had heard the stories of God delivering uh, the children of Israel out of Egypt, but he, he couldn't believe that somehow God could come into his current situation where they were at right then and that God could bring deliverance. And of all things, that deliverance could come through him and God anointing him. He just couldn't believe it. Somehow he had grabbed a hold of the victim mentality so long that he had become, in at least in his mind, a victim. Not only a victim of the Midianites, but a victim of God's unfaithfulness, he thought. He didn't realize that what he was accusing God of was not even possible. God 
can't be unfaithful. It's not even in his character or his nature. He, his, it's not possible for him to be unfaithful. And yet, at times in our own lives, we look up at the heavens and because things are not working out the way we had dreamed they were and because we've prayed about some things a couple of times and things haven't worked out, we can accuse God and say you're not faithful. Look, look at this situation. The Lord's with us. How, how can that be possible? Look, look at what's going on right now. And we accuse God of something that he's not even capable of. Nothing in Gideon's circumstance in which he found him in. We, when we read it in the narrative here, nothing in his circumstance was telling him he was a mighty man of valor. He was the one who would deliver Israel out of the hands of the Midianites. Nothing in his circumstance was telling him that. And so he was listening to his circumstance. I just want to say to somebody here this morning, you need to quit listening to your circumstances and you need to start listening to the voice of God and to the word of God as it speaks over you. It doesn't matter what our circumstances are saying. What matters is what God has declared. That's what matters. Jesus said it. I believe it. And that settles it. Amen. Now, I heard somebody say one time, you know, God said it. And that settles it because it doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. And I understand the sentiment of what they were saying because God's word is true but it does matter whether I believe it or not it matters a big deal whether I believe it or not whether I really get into this book and I, I, I understand the spirit of this book and the, the promises of this book if I can get a hold of those things it will transform my life and change my life I want to challenge some young people who are sitting on these front rows and some, some children over here sitting on this front row. I want to challenge you. If you're not too young to develop a relationship with God's word, you're not too young to get this book in your hands and go in your room and pour over it and let it touch your heart and let your tears touch the pages of this book. Come on, children. Get a relationship with God through his word. Come on, young people. Hyphen members get a relationship with God through his words adults in this building come on you've got to have a relationship with God through his word because God every story we read in this book we can declare about that story God is in this story God is in this story he is. There was a young, skinny pitcher who was coming up in the minor leagues of the L.A. Dodgers many years ago. He was very good. His arm was powerful. But this pitcher was timid. He was intimidated by the batters that would come up to bat, and it would throw him off. Even though he had a great arm, he was being intimidated. And so Tommy Lasorda, the manager of the L.A. Dodgers, decided he needed to step in. And he did what any good 
manager would do. He spoke over this young man something he saw that this young man did not even see himself. Tommy called this skinny pitcher bulldog. Bulldog. That's what he would call him. Every time he would see him, he would call him by his nickname instead of his given name, which was Oral Hershiser. Some of you may remember him pitching. He became what Lasorda called him. He became a fierce competitor just because somebody believed enough in him to speak over him that name. Bulldog. He began to embody that at, when he was on the pitcher's mound. He became fierce with his pitches, and he didn't let the batters intimidate him. It is powerful when somebody speaks over us something that will transform us if we'll get a hold of it. And this is what God does for Gideon. You mighty man of valor. Gideon focused on that phrase. But what Gideon didn't initially get was the, the phrase that preceded that, the proclamation that preceded that is what he really needed to latch on to. God was declaring to Gideon, I am with you, you mighty man of valor. And it was God's presence that was going to be able to make Gideon powerful. It wasn't Gideon himself. It was God's presence that was going to make him the powerful man that he was to become. So I want to look at you this morning and I want to tell you God is speaking some things over you. Your circumstances may not look that great. But God is saying over you you are a mighty person. Man, woman, child, young person, hyphen. You are a mighty person of valor. Mighty person of valor. Amen. And it is from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that we find some principles. I'm not going to take time to speak about these very much, but 11, chapter 11, verse 6, tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Everyone that comes to God, he that comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently, diligently seek him. Amen. You've got to believe that God exists. You've got to believe that. Amen. I know our, our educational system in this world sometimes wants to tell us that there's no God, that all this happened by accident. But you can't look through a telescope and come to that conclusion. You can't look through a microscope and come to that conclusion. That all these uh, theories that we, we hear about, that how this all happened by accident, is it can't happen that way. It never happens that way. It's that whole idea of it happening can't be replicated. God does exist. He does. 
And let me, just, let me just simply ask you this question here this morning. Who is speaking into your life? What voices are speaking into your life? Because there's no way that two or three hours on this campus a week is going to override everything you hear from this world. And so you need to, to limit what the world is saying to you. It's impossible for two or three hours of just hearing somebody else speak override everything that this world says to us. And so that's why it's critically important. If I can challenge every single person in this building, if you don't have a, a Bible that you can hold in your hands, you need to get one. If you don't have one, this church would be glad to provide you with a Bible. But you need to get this book. And you need to pour over this book. And every time you read a story in this book, you need to exclaim, God is in this story. God is in this story. God God is in this. He's speaking to me. Oh, come on. It's, it's not time for us to back off of our relationship with God. One, one writer of a song years ago said this. He says, I love to touch these pages with my fingers. These pages that have been worn soft by tears and by pain. He's talking about a relationship with this good book. Amen. I want to challenge you. Your faith may be low, but let me tell you, uh, it is in, when I, in my life, when I see my faith taking a dive, it's because I have stepped back from my relationship with this good book. I haven't been into it. I haven't been, haven't been reading the stories. I've got to believe that he is, but I've got to get a relationship with his word so that I can become strong because the heavens declare his glory. The firmament of the sky shows his handiwork. I can see and look into the sky and realize that he exists. And not only that he exists, but that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So I just want to ask you a question. How diligently are you endeavoring to hear God's voice? How diligently are you endeavoring to hear God's voice? God is and he can be known. But he doesn't just show himself to the casual observer. He saves his revelations for people like Moses. You say, God, I, what I'm facing, what, the challenge you put before me, I, I'm not enough, God. You're going to have to show me something more. If I'm going to do what you've called me to do, you're going to have to show me something more. Because I can't do this alone. Just prove to me that you're going to go with me and you're going to be with me. And God said, I can't show you my face as you, as you have requested, but I will show you my backside, my hinder parts. I, as I was reading that passage the other day, I kind of came to this conclusion. I don't know that if, uh, I don't know if it would, if it, exegetical muster would, uh, Hold up to this, but as, as I looked at it, I thought, you know, this God was showing Moses what he needed to see every time he embarked on a mission or a journey. Okay. Oh, there it is. There's God's back. Okay, that's the way to go. 
That's the way to go. God, uh, God didn't show him his face because he didn't need to see his face. What he needed to see is what, oh yeah, I need to follow that. That's, that's where I need to go. This is God's leading. I just need to look for his back because that's where God is going. And wherever God's going, that's where I need to be going. Amen. We need to be able to get into God's words. Just my challenge this morning as I close here this morning. Don't let your Bible get too dusty. Don't let it get too dusty. Get a relationship with it. Oh, well, I'm not a, I'm not a theologian. I don't, I don't understand a lot of, about the Bible. That's okay. You know, uh, Mark Twain said this. He said, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. You don't have to know a lot about the Bible. Just be obedient to what you know. And then when you walk in obedience to that, God will reveal more of himself to you. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for for listening to the heart of this elder in the church here this morning. I just wanted to challenge you that uh, you need to be reading God's presence into your life and in every aspect of your story. You need to, like Gideon, conclude that God, what he said about me is true. What he's saying over me is true. Not be listening to the voices of people who are trying to steal your faith. Take it away. Amen. Would you stand with me? Here's going to be my challenge. As I said earlier in this message. I hope that this becomes an infusion room for the next few moments. That somehow God gets a hold of your heart and reminds you of his great work in your life. And so here's here's the call this morning. If you feel like you need a little more faith, if you feel like you need to be encouraged a little bit more, if maybe your your faith and belief is, is waning, or maybe you just would like to be reminded of God's faithfulness. Why don't you take a few steps down to the front of this building here this morning. We're going to have a concluding prayer. Amen. You just need to remind yourself that God is in my story. God is in my story. I know sometimes circumstances. Circumstances can tell us he's not. But we need to be reminded. God is with us. Amen. Why don't you, if you would, grab the hand of your neighbor if it's appropriate. Put your hand on their shoulder. Uh, and let's begin to pray for each other. Oh, dear God. Oh, dear God, I pray over this great congregation, Jesus. Oh, Lord, I pray. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God, let our faith be strong. Oh, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus. Let our faith be strong, O oh God. We believe that you are and that you're a rewarder of those who diligently, who diligently seek you, O oh God. And so, God, I pray, Lord Jesus, ignite a fire, God, a hunger in our hearts, O oh Lord Jesus, for your word, God, for the stories of your word, that what, the things that were written aforetime, this Bible, God, this book that we've been given, Lord Jesus, that it would become 
of great interest to us, O Lord. In the name of Jesus, that you would speak over us, O God. Speak into our hearts, O God, and into our lives things, O God, that we don't believe about ourselves, God. But that somehow, that somehow, God, we can get a hold of it, Jesus. And we can believe this. Lord, I pray this over us in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let me say this last thing before they sing and we conclude. Jesus first met Peter right out of the gate. He said, you're Simon, the son of Jonah. But you shall be called Cephas, which means stone or rock. Just like Lasorda was doing with Oral Hershiser. He was speaking over, Jesus was speaking over who we now call Peter. A challenge to become something that Peter didn't see himself to be. I just want to challenge you. Be what God believes you to be. Endeavor to become that. If he's speaking something over you, if he says over you, you mighty person of valor. You are certainly that. Amen. You are certainly, certainly that. Amen. Let God into your story. Invite him into your story and he'll do great things. Amen.